Let us pray. We confess today that we do not always realize the power of our prayer. Lord, you spoke about prayer a lot and you said, come to me and ask and you will receive. A promise you gave us because you wanted us to know that we are not alone in this world. That you as God is with us and will walk with us and will help us. You gave us all of this about prayer because you knew that life would not always be easy for your children. That we will also be exposed to illness and to travesty and calamity and difficulty. And in the midst of that, that we can come to you and say, even though we do not understand, help. And Lord, you promise that you will. So today we come and we again approach you. And we forget, O oh Lord, that as we talk to you, that sadly we do not always are reminded of who you are. That you are the one that created it all, that holds it all in your hand, and the one that owns us. And what we today come and ask, and that you will powerfully do, is to help us hear your story. Hear your word for us today. And I pray, Lord, that there will be someone in this church today, or watching online today or later, that will be touched by something in the story of Jonah that we are looking at. We came to listen, we came to learn, we came to hear. And now we ask, Lord, break through in us and do the work that needs to be done. We ask this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Where's the car? What have you done? Are you okay? Yes, yes, okay. But how did you get the car up there? Well, you thought it was drive, but it was actually reverse or, you know, going backwards. I do not know. How many times in my life have I said the statement, what have you done? How many times have I heard that statement, especially when I was younger, when my mom would say, Freddy, what have you done? Well, a few times Louise also said the same thing. Yeah, yeah. That didn't end, it really did end. I think we all know that there's this ripple effect, that our actions do have an impact on people around us. And I think all of us sort of have an idea, but I think we do not always understand how serious that can be. And today I would like to talk about the ripple effect in the story of Jonah. So let's go and read. Uh, we've been busy with this story now for a while, and we will be busy with it. And now my confession. So last week, before we left, I said, next week I'm going to talk about, is Jonah a real person about the whale? But then when I read this section again, I thought I was going to say like two things about it, but you know me. Now, I discovered like three sermons in it. So we will get to the question about the whale next week. Somebody said to me, am I today going to hear if it was a whale? I said, no, no, no. That's a whale of a story for next week, but not, not, not for today. So let's continue with this section then before we get to that next week. The sailors said to one another, come, let us cast lots so that we may know on whose account this calamity has come upon us. So they cast lots. The lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, tell us why this calamity has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? I'm a Hebrew, he replied. 
I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were even more afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them so. Then they said to him, What shall we do with you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea was growing more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great storm has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to bring the ship back to the land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more stormy against them. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, O Lord, we pray, do not let us perish on account of this man's life. Do not make us guilty of innocent blood for you, O Lord. O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked John up, threw him into the sea, and the sea ceased from his raging. Then the men feared the Lord even more, and they offered the sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. But the Lord provided a large fish to swallow, Lord, swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. That's for next week. This is not for today, the last part. You turn on the TV in the morning. It's a traffic report. Crash. Crash on I-4, the people are trying to come from the east are stuck. Crash on I-4, the people trying to come from the west are stuck. Crash on the 408, the people are going south or east or west are stuck. Whatever, you know the story. John Young, there's a crash on John Young, and now I need to figure out how I'm going to get to work because there's a crash. How many times have you and I been on a freeway? I'm driving happily at my 95 miles an hour. I'm just kidding. At 70 miles an hour, you know, obediently going and then you come around the corner and you see this line of cars. And you know there's an accident somewhere up front. Or you drive and you see the accident, accident and you look at the cars on the other side of the freeway. And I've said to Louise, let's see how many miles these cars are backed up. And sometimes they're three, four, sometimes up to ten miles the guys would sit there. Because of what? One person. That were disobedient. They drove too fast, recklessly, or didn't pay attention, and actually then caused an accident. For every crash that you hear about on the news or uh, uh, on the radio or whatever, there's one person that caused it, and then all the other people impacted by this one person that did something stupid. How many flights did people miss because of somebody else's indecisiveness? How many times appointments were missed? And, and job interviews were missed because of traffic. And the reason why the traffic was backed up because someone somewhere made a decision that was disobedient to the laws or the rules of the road. It doesn't only apply to the way that we drive. It also applies to life in many different ways. How many times in my life have I sat with a couple in my office that is falling apart? Because there's someone that made a decision in this relationship that was not healthy for the relationship, and now it's all falling apart. How many times have I had couples walk into my office and say, we need to talk about our child because our child is doing the most weirdest stuff. And the impact of that child on the life of that family is so destructive that it's actually pulling people apart. How many times have I seen children in my office and said, I can't believe what my parents are doing. Did they decide to get a divorce at this point in our lives? What are they doing? You see, the sailors on the ship knew there was one person 
that was the reason for this calamity. For some reason, they just knew this. So if I look at the world around me, I can see lots of things going wrong, and mostly a lot of the things going wrong has to do with someone that's out there doing the wrong thing. Then they cast lots. That was sort of a pagan thing to do. So they didn't know any other way. They said, we need to figure out who this person is. So they started to do the lot thing. So how they did it, we do not really know. But while they were casting these lots, God got involved because God is still pursuing Jonah. Where's Jonah? He's there. He knows everything that's happening on that ship has to do with him, and he's as silent as a rock. He's not saying a word. I'm stunned. There was this story now a while ago, and it's still probably in the media, of this woman that disappeared there on the other side, and the people want to talk to the family, and they don't say a word. This guy comes back with his girlfriend. They ask him, where's your girlfriend? Not a word. As if your disobedience and your silence will make what you did wrong go away. So Jonah is silently standing there. These guys are doing the lot thing, and he's just watching at what they're doing, and he knows it's him. That is, to me, such an example of how we sometimes think about life that I can actually hide from God. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. That will never be true. Never. Because God knows. God knows. And God was actually, when they casted these lots, was saying to Jonah, Amen. You thought by running away from me and by keeping silent and by doing all of these things, sleeping in the hole, that I'm going to lose interest in you, that I will forget you. I will not pay attention to what you have done and what you are doing now. I am God and I will not stop because I'm God. You know, um, I, I, I had someone a while ago that, that struggled a little bit with pornography. Um, let me just say here, um, I've had contact with a few people that ended up in prison because they started with pornography and then they are distracted and they found their way into some sites where you should not be. And the FBI will get you, and they will get you. I actually saw a report a while ago of all the tools that they use, um, and they, will, they can get actually a, a computer in a room, in an apartment, where the guy was, they knew exactly where this guy was sitting. So... This guy came to me and he said, you know, I've got a little bit of an issue with pornography. I said, you name, it's very easy to resolve it. I said, get a password on your computer. And let the password be Jesus sees. <laughs> so when you log in your computer, it says Jesus sees everything. I said, I promise you, you will stop watching porn. He said, it worked well. I said, exactly, it worked well. It will work well because, you see, what happens behind the closed door is never closed because God is there. And that's what the living Lord wanted Jonah to know. Hey, Jonah, you think you're going to get away with this by keeping quiet and hiding from me? You can't. I'm God. I know. Then the confession. Then the confession. When the lot fell on Jonah, these guys had, it's like a machine gun. They had all these questions. Who are you? Where did you come from? What nation are you from? What language do you speak? Who's your God? They are trying to figure out why this guy would stand there and not tell him what's going on. And, and, and he's a reason for their calamity. And then the confession. I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. 
at least Jonah confessed his faith. But in front of a world that he's completely disappointed. You see, the guys on the ship rep represent to me the world. And Jonah is a representative of the church. Of God. Because Jonah was called to represent God's power and might and, and God's love in this world. And he's fleeing from that responsibility. And now when the world sees who he is, he stands there and he's in a sense guilty before them also. And then I, I, I just googled a little bit, youth pastors arrested. D don't do this. The page is full of pictures of youth pastors arrested because I know of a guy somewhere that was arrested recently. It's not John is arrested for whatever. It is youth pastor arrested. If I mess up, I promise you in some way, shape, or form, the heading in the newspaper will be, Pastor of the Church of the Lakes did this. Not Ferdy Brits, the idiot from South Africa. I'm the pastor from the church that messed up. The Church of the Lakes, a Presbyterian church, then they will tell all the stuff about the church and how I, with my decision I've made, failed the church. No, I failed God and His kingdom. This story scares the daylights out of me, like many other stories in the Bible. Because it reminds me constantly of the fact that when I commit myself to Christ, when I commit myself to His kingdom, then I have a responsibility that's way bigger than just a normal guy messing up because I am a re representative of God Almighty as a child of God. And here the church stands and he says it's because of me. Because of my, my reluctance to listen. My, my disobedience. And then the sailors come and they say to Jonah, what have you done? I come back to my introduction a little bit. It's almost in, this, in the sentence, there's a, a, a little bit of a desperation and a sadness. What have you done? You are the one that's supposed to know. You are so one, the one that's supposed to have at least a moral compass and ethical code. What have you done? Because look at the calamity and the crisis we are in because of a decision that you have made. And that just, in a sense, reminds me as Ferdy, but, but in, the, in, in the decisions I make and the way I interact with people and how I, I, I go about my business, I am constantly touching the lives of other people around me. And the way that I can touch their lives can be extremely constructive or extremely destructive. What have you done? Maybe that's the question that I should ask myself and you should ask yourself also. Maybe there's people in the past that I've heard hurt because of what I've done. Maybe I've never really recognized it because I thought I'm living in this bubble and I, I, I'm, I can do my own thing. But we are not. You know, there are some people I call tank people like a tank that you have in a war, the thing with a turret that shoots. I, I've driven in a tank. I was in the military, in the army. I, I, we had to go somewhere, and I said to the guy, can I sit in front? And he said, yeah. It's amazing. It's, it's, it's a 50-ton thing that we were in. And it had this little slit that you look through, and there's a turret, and the guy can shoot stuff in front of you. Man. But it, a tank doesn't have a rear-view mirror. You have no idea. What's behind you? Nothing. 
So you can actually with a tank go over a car, over a dog, over a child, over a bicycle, and you will not know it because you only see that little bit. And if there's something in your way, what do you do? You shoot a hole through it to go through it. I know people like this. They just storm forward. Whatever is in their way, they shoot out of the way, and they never look back to see what's in the wake of them behind them. As Christians, sometimes we need to stop for a moment and turn back and say, what have I done? What have I done? Maybe it's time for me also to come with a confession and say, I'm sorry, I'm the reason. I apologize. I did not do what was right. That's where, in a sense, healing starts. Let me continue. He said to them, pick me up and throw me into the sea, then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it's because of me that this great storm has come upon you. For the first time, Jonah is recognizing in front of these guys, you know, I'm the guy that has done all of this that's causing us all, all harm. But what does he say? You throw me in the ocean. Why doesn't he jump? He can just jump overboard, clinks, and go. But now he's placing again the responsibility on the people on the ship. They need to pick him up and throw it in the ocean as if he doesn't have the ability to just jump overboard because what is happening here? Is he trying to commit suicide? Here for the first time we find in the story of Jonah that he gives over to God because he knew God is pursuing him relentlessly and God will now take over. He knows that he should not be on that ship. He says, get rid of me, throw me over this board and God will in some way, shape or form Make sure that I end up where I need to be. He knew this, but still some fear that if he would jump overboard and something would happen to him that's bad, then he's to blame. So at least the sailors will be to blame. He never takes responsibility, this guy. But now what happens with the, with the sailors? Nevertheless, the men rode hard to bring the ship back to land. But they could not, for the sea grew more and more stormy against them. Remember now, Jonah represents the church. Jonah represents us, who lives in a world, and our task is to go and tell people about Jesus and tell them about the love and the grace of God. And sometimes we walk away from this task that God has for us, but God will always sort of drag us back a little bit. But now Jonah is doing his job. He says, I'm here because of the God of heaven and earth, and they are afraid of this God that's brought this huge storm upon them. He says, and what you as the world now need to do is to throw me overboard. They decide, no, we're not going to throw him overboard. We've got it. We've got it. We are going to prove God wrong by just rowing harder and harder because we can now save Jonah. They want to play the role of the Savior where Jonah is supposed to be the Savior. They are now sort of the savior of Jonah by also being disobedient to God. And what happens? The storm gets worse. The storm gets worse. So now if I look around this world that we now live in, I say to myself, why are we in such a mess? I think we are in such a mess because the church of Jesus Christ has not done its job well in many different ways. I think in many ways we have been too silent about who God is in the world that we live. And I think in many different ways the church of Jesus Christ, and that includes me personally, Ferdy, did not always speak when I had to speak or should speak. 
I think the reason why this world is so messed up is because our disobedience is touching the lives of people in many different ways. And God says, why will I bless disobedience and why will I bless sin? I can't. I will use whatever means there is actually that people may know who I am. I'm God. The second reason why this world is so messed up is because when the church do speak, the world ignores us. They ignore us. They always have an answer. We may tell them, Jesus is the answer. They say, oh no, there's way better answers than Jesus. The answers may lie with the oh, politicians. Oh no, they can't get anything done there. But the answer may lie with this guy on TV or that book or this thing or that thing or whatever out there that can be the answer. But it can't be what the church is telling us. And what happened? It got worse. It got worse. The storm grew in intensity. But at least these guys had the humanity to say, but there's a God there that we now need to try and please. And now the most amazing, and I want to go to my next slide. Now the most amazing thing is starting to take place. Let me just read this. So they picked Jonah up, threw him in the ocean. And then this, uh, the men feared the Lord even more, and they offered the sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. So this is my second last slide, the number. You know, many times I've jokingly said it's amazing what God can do in spite of the church. Well, sometimes I feel the church is standing in the way of God doing its work, His work. This morning again when I listened to the radio, I heard there are some new reports of what happened with the Roman Catholic Church in, in France. And, and in, this, in, this, in, this, in this segment they said, and the church, and the church, and the church, and there were so many pedophiles that used the church, and so many thousands of young boys were impacted by the church and the church. And I just grabbed, I can't grab my ear, I had some skin stuff there. But I grabbed my hair. And I said, Lord, on a Sunday morning, is that what, this what people hear when they turn on the radio? The day when people are supposed to go to church, you hear how the church has failed the only holy living God in so many different ways. But in the midst of this chaos, this calamity on this sea where Jonah is at, these guys start to see God. They start to, start to discover God. They, 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 they realize, but there must be a God because of all of these things happening. And at the end, they feared the Lord even more because it started when they didn't want to kill Jonah at some point. And then they offered the sacrifice and they made vows. And the vows meant that they probably said, Lord, we know now that you are the God of heaven and earth and to you we will be committed. No one and nothing will stop the kingdom of God to move through this history, the history of world, of this world of ours, and the history of people. This is not the way that God wants to do His work. This is not the way. So people may read the story and say, well, it all worked out fine. You know, Jonah ended up in a well, and he ended up in a well. All worked out fine, so what's the big deal? This is not the way that God wants to do His work. God does not want people to suffer, to be panicked, for a ship to threaten to fall apart, and for Jonah to be silent in a corner. God does not want to do His work in this way. God wants to do His work in a way that people are okay. So the best way... So whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. 
I pray that at the end of the, every single day when I get into bed, and I lie for a moment, and I always, when I get in bed, thank the Lord for the day. But maybe from tonight on, I will get into bed and say to the Lord, Lord, what have I done today? To please you. To, to, to further your kingdom and your glory. And maybe tomorrow morning when I wake up before I go out for my run, I will ask the Lord, Lord, what do you want me to do today? That my actions, my words, my interactions will actually benefit your glory and your name and your kingdom. That your story may find its way into the lives of other people without the panic, the crisis, and the disaster that this world will always bring because of disobedience. This is a sermon not only for you, but a sermon also for me. Because you can easily say, Ferdy, it's easy for you to say these things because you stand on a pulpit and you preach. I have a normal life, guys, when I'm not here. Where I interact with people in many different ways. And I also get irritated by people that call me when I want to have lunch. And, and I'm the president of our HOA. Let me tell you, that's interesting. Yeah, let's, let's not go there. Um, I'm involved with the Orange County Sheriff's Department. That car outside is mine. So I'm involved with things completely outside of this church. And a few times I've sat in a meeting, especially there downtown with the, with the county, and I thought, Freddie, you should have said something. But I sometimes do not have the emotional energy because I'm exhausted emotionally, maybe spiritually. And a while ago I said, Luis, I should have said something in this meeting this morning, but I just sat there and I want to go home. It was on a Saturday morning and I worked the whole week and I had to preach on Sunday. What harm did I cause the kingdom by staying silent that day when a woman used the name of the Lord in vain five times? I should have got up and said, please, it's my Lord you're talking about. But I didn't. That evening, Ferdy, what have you done? Lord, nothing. Okay, Ferdy, next time. Try again. My kingdom needs to be served. Amen.